You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I got a really fun one for you all today. I got probably my favorite industry in the world, aviation. And I got the man, the myth, the legend, Corey Benson from Skyshare, newly rebranded. Corey, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm really, really excited about this because I have an obsession with aviation that is a little bit weird. And <laughs> like I know I could sit at the airport and tell you every make and model of every single jet sitting on the, the tarmac there and roughly even the years based on the design. I mean, it's when I'm bored at night, I'm looking at planes. I, I don't know. What why, is but. your very favorite? So I, honestly, I think it's our, you know, a phenom, yeah. our phenom. I love that airplane. Like obviously money was no option. You could get up into the crazies and the bigger global expresses and your big Gulf streams and things like that. But honestly, for ripping around yeah. basically almost the entire United States and down on the Caribbean islands, that phenom 300, I think that it's, it's fantastic. just an amazing airplane. And yeah. it's fun. I mean, we've had some rowdy trips in that airplane. We, <laughs> We, uh, I mean, it, it can take off at like 7,000 plus feet, you know, of climb. And we've dropped down and turned like, I don't even know if we're supposed to talk about, but like, we, <laughs> you know, we were at like 40,000 feet going over to Oregon and the pilot was like, you guys want to go see Mount Washington? I think it was, or something like that. And we dropped up, boom, right down, cruised around Mount Washington. Oh, that's awesome. Right back up to, and I'm like, it was the craziest I mean, and he's an old F-14 pilot, and he was like, that was like a two on the crazy scale. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, that was nuts for me. I could, it was, we were pulling so many Gs, I couldn't even lean over to take a picture. It was pretty pretty fun, but awesome. that plane's amazing. Yeah, so, great airplane. Um, but I would love to get into your story about how you got yeah. into aviation and kind of what, what fascinated you with the space and why you wanted to start your own company. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. When I was in high school, I always wanted to be a pilot, um, an airline pilot, and the goal was that I was just going to get out of high school, um, get a job selling cars for just a year to kind of fund my racing habit. I was racing motocross and street cool. bikes, and and then I got sucked into the car world. So um, I nice. had 15 years in the car industry, which was what I say the best education I've ever had in my entire life. Um, right. I learned a ton. Um, and dealerships that, are tough. Yeah. It's well, you lot, understand in your parts. business. Yeah, Very, it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And it, it was a really good run, but I – but I wasn't incredibly passionate about it. I loved the business aspect of it. I loved uh, managing and leading people and, and growing a business, but I'm not so much a car guy and I just loved airplanes. So it, while I was through uh, working through the, the car world, I got my private pilot's license. I bought a partnership in a small little Cessna Turbo 210 when I was 21 years old and nice. buzzing around and then started flipping airplanes on eBay for fun. and really ebay um, yeah that's cool yeah <laughs> i made money on most and lost some right. so uh, but lots of fun stories and then um towards the end of my car career i owned um a dealership with a couple partners and we had a buy here pay here pink and um did special financing but the in 2008 the recession started to come and and it was a lot harder to make money kind of right. like what we may be looking at coming in the next coming years right and I just kind of sat back and I was like, this isn't fun. Like, I want to do something. I want to follow my passion. Even if I make less money, I would much rather do something that I want to get out of bed and go do. So right. I sold my um, ownership back to my two partners. And that was a very ugly divorce, um, unfortunately. But got that behind me. And then we started, um, I started the aviation company 14 years ago this month, actually. Wow. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. That's a, that's big. I mean, anything over 10 years, man, most of, most businesses don't even make it the first year, let alone five years and 10 years. Yeah. And, and there was many times that it was close, right? right? Like I think when you talk to most entrepreneurs in the, in the journey that don't have a bunch of um, like VC funding or PE funding, there's it's, you're just scraping, right? Getting creative. I mean, I remember a lot of times in the early years while we were growing, I didn't know how to make payroll. And we always did. We always found a way. Right. But it was freaking, it was stressful sometimes. Yeah, no, I know exactly how that, that feels. I mean, we're, we're in a really down market right now in the yeah. RV industry, and it's, it's stressful. I mean, sometimes you're looking at it, and you're like, well, it's going to be close. And 
you know, we make it through it. And, yeah. you know, we're like, hey, we're, you know, make it just one more day, just one more day, just one more day and getting through it. But it's been stressful time. So I completely understand um, how how hard is it to open up a an aviation company? Because I know it's not I mean, you just don't, right. roll, you know, create an LLC and call it good. So I started just in the aircraft sales side. Um, so I was a broker representing buyers and sellers, very similar to a real estate agent, except my houses had wings and they were all over. So it was actually very easy to start, Okay. Um, but it was very hard to actually build the business. You had no credibility in the marketplace. Nobody knew who you were. And I was literally smiling and dialing. Like I went to, um, they offered this two-day training on how to become an aircraft broker, which I didn't really learn anything <laughs> on. But I just took the skills and the grit that I learned in the car business. And, and I bought a, a computer program that had a list of all the aircraft owners and just smiled and dialed and, and then finally got a listing. And then one listing turned into two and, and stayed in the aircraft sales for the first about seven, eight years of the business. Wow. That's awesome. One thing I want to ask you too, is that I, uh, I've watched a show called airplane repo and uh, <laughs> you were on that show. Yeah. How, uh, how, I mean, maybe you can't give it all away, but is how how is that, and how like how realistic or real is airplane repo? Um, well, and, and that's if for people yeah, listening, that's a Discovery Channel TV show. It, and we were the the one I were was on. We were reenacting. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I should say that on there or not. Uh, but, I don't know. Um, I didn't sign anything. To say I can't. But <laughs> but it was a it was a really cool experience. Um, it was a huge Grumman Albatross. I yeah. still have that airplane now. You, you still have it. Yeah, my my best friend unfortunately passed from cancer three years oh, ago. Man, I'm sorry was, to hear that. Yeah, it was he was my mentor, best friend, just an incredible person, helped me in every aspect of life. But he had, had gifted me that airplane, and and so we're going to bring it back to life. And that's awesome. Yeah, because yeah, it uh, shows. I think you landed in Strawberry. We landed or? on that show. We're at Bear Lake. Oh, Bear Lake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it broke down, and it was having this water leak, which is you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying, dude. I haven't watched this episode probably a couple of years. Yeah, that's funny you watch um, it. But yeah, I was like watching. It's like in Ogden, Utah. And then like it sees you like sneaking around the corner and the fence, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's yeah. Corey. And I'm like. Then it shows like you guys having a hard time getting into the airport. I'm like, he he literally has credentials. To get it in. was yeah, yeah, in my business. Yeah. That I was jumping the <laughs> gate. So <laughs> that's awesome. But there was another TV show I did um, called Dangerous Flights, and okay. this was a Discovery Channel. We did it with Discovery Canada, and it was a it was about me and my company as they followed us flying small airplanes all over the world. Really, and it was pretty funny. Like. I'm a firm believer if you set something in your mind, like the universe just works, that somehow it happens. Right. Um, if you're really dedicated and believe that it will. And so how that TV show came about is like a month before I sat my team down. And again, this was about 10 years ago. So my team was only seven or eight people. I'm like, hey, I want to do a, a TV show that's about airplane sales. Like there's nothing like it. There's king of cars and there's house hunters and everything, but nothing about airplane sales. Right. A week later, I get a call from a producer saying they want to do a TV show. And I was like, Oh, you're full of shit. I thought it was my team, like make it like pranking me because really? they, they were kind of mocking me on the idea. Right. Anyways, listening to the conversation, it was a real deal and it was a little different storyline. It was more about delivering the airplanes than selling the airplanes. But very quickly I started talking the producer set up or the researcher that first called me set up a call with the producer and he's like, um, well, let's let's maybe find a time to talk. And I asked him, where do you live? And he's like, well, up, up in Montreal. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm delivering an airplane to Montreal in three days. Wow. So deliver this airplane up there. We met, hit it off. And he said, I really need to have a pilot episode that I can show Discovery because he was the production company that we could do this. Right. And I said, well, this is really weird because I've never crossed an ocean, but I leave for Australia in two weeks in this airplane I sold. So we, we scrambled, got the directors put together, got all the camera equipment, and we did the first episode. It was a pilot episode that turned into episode one of Dangerous Flights, and we took this Merlin three. It's like a King Air. Mm -hmm. It's a turboprop, nine-passenger airplane. We took all the seats out of the back, and we put two huge fuel tanks in there because we didn't have enough fuel to make it over the ocean to Hawaii to make our way down to Australia. Right. And so... So we did this whole deal, and it's called Ferrying Airplanes, and the, the show, again, was called Dangerous Flights, but it was just an incredible experience. So 
uh, Discovery of Canada greenlit the show, so we did two full seasons. Um, wow. Down here in the U.S., not many people knew about it because it only played on the Smithsonian Network. Okay. Uh, Discovery U.S. said there wasn't enough drama for for the for the U.S. Uh, audience, but right. it played in Asia, UK, um, obviously really popular up in Canada, and it was just an awesome experience. So through the two years of filming that, I was able to touch 32 countries, flying these small airplanes, bouncing all over the world. That's um, so cool. It was, it was awesome. That, that, and especially that flight, that flight to Australia would be wild. Yeah. Because, I mean, that plane, I mean, obviously isn't supposed to cross the ocean, but you can. I think you can get the special ferry permits to be able to do We'd, crazy things that you're not supposed to in an airplane. Yeah. If, you know, if things aren't working properly in an airplane you can like oh yeah just apply for a ferry permit and you can get it which i think is kind yeah. of strange sometimes that's but. exactly what we had to do so because we were so heavy we were like 2500 pounds over what the plane normally flies at we had to get a special permit because we were so full of fuel right um and then it was hawaii then down to the america Samoa's a small island called pago pago and then into new caledonia and then over to hawaii Jeez, how, was, how many oh, sorry, hours australia it was um, about thirty-two hours total. Thirty-two together. hours flying. Wow, that's a, I mean, that's a long ways. And you're not yeah. flying. I mean, how it's, it's a pressurized cabin, but you're it not is. flying at forty thousand feet. So high. we were like low twenties. Wow, that's yeah. a, and that's a long flight in low twenties. Yeah. Right, it's a little bit bumpier down down there. Yeah, it was awesome. It was an incredible experience. Like I flew a little Cessna, um, a little Cessna two hundred six all the way to Poland. We same thing. We took out the back seats, put these big fuel tanks in there, so we'd have enough. Uh, fuel to make it from Canada to Greenland to Iceland, Scotland, and then over to Poland. Uh, you're like I've done this before. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it a lot yeah. now. Um, wow. Yeah, I still do it. Like my business now, we don't. That's not a service we offer. We used to when I was doing the TV show. Mm -hmm. But as I'm buying and selling airplanes or buying airplanes for our fleet, um, I'll I'll often go pick up. Like I picked up a Pilatus just in December and flew it back over the ocean. I picked it up in Germany. I picked up wow. a CJ in Switzerland and brought it back. So wow. It's, it's a lot yeah, of those are long flights. I mean, when we bought our Gulfstream, they took, they brought it from Sweden and I'm like, that's a long flight. For yeah. Me, but I mean, but Iceland, if you ever get an opportunity, have you ever been to Iceland? I have not. Oh my God. It's one of my favorite countries. Really? It's incredible. My wife has been bugging me to go there and I would love to go to the blue lagoon and go to everything. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's this lady that I know her, her name's a Hannah Eden. And she rode a bike around the entire oh, really? that road that goes around the entire island. She rode a bike around the island and said it was the greatest trip of her life. It so is. The ever whole since country. she told me that story, I've wanted to go. I mean, the whole country, I think, only has 300,000 people. Really? You no. Know? And But they're, they're just beautiful people, super nice. The food's really good. And then we stay at the Blue Lagoon every time we go. The Northern Lights. I saw the Northern Lights when I was there last That's time. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen, I saw the Northern Lights when I was in Alaska when I Did was you? really, really young. That is the craziest phenomenon I've yeah. ever seen in my life. It it looks fake. Like seriously, it looks fake. It it's, does. It's crazy. Yeah, it's and it's awesome. just like moving in the sky. Yeah, and it con I mean, like that's why it looks fake. It's like just constantly moving, and you think like, oh yeah, that's just like some lights, but it's not. It's really, you know, Northern Lights. It's crazy. Take your wife to Iceland. Yeah, I really. It's your I next should, trip. Should we, we're gonna have a baby in September, and like, probably next spring we should take. We should go up there, and maybe spring, spring, summer we'll go. There up you there. go. Heck yeah. So. You know, you're doing all this, uh, you started the company, you know, you're doing airline or, uh, you know, sales. Uh -huh. um, is that a pretty hyper competitive industry? It, it is because kind of like we we're saying, it's very easy for people to say they're an aircraft broker. There's no, it's not regulated at all. Like um, to become a real estate agent, it's a lot of training. And right. And you have to pass the, all the tests and stuff like that. You can start a website and say you're an aircraft broker. Really? Um, so that, that part, it, it, took a while to build a reputation, build a client base. Um, and then where the company really pivoted was about seven years ago. Well, just before that, I had purchased the first FBO up in Ogden. Right. And so that gave us a really good house to house the brokerage and the other stuff we're doing. We had a few mechanics and we we're starting a maintenance department. Okay. But I, but I came up with the idea of a fractional company. So it's almost like a timeshare where you buy a share of one airplane and then you have access to all of them. Right. Um, and so with that idea where there's some, there's, there's other companies that do it, but not like we do it. Like NetJets is the mother of them all. You know, right. they've got 800 airplanes and they're, they're massive. Right. But they're all bigger airplanes. And there, there wasn't any, at least in the Western U.S., doing a fractional model with smaller like the Pilatuses 
with a light jet. We use citations. Right. Um, and then what made us really unique is we use Gulfstreams as well. So in our program, unlike anyone else, if you're an owner in the program, you can fly a Pilatus one day and you can fly the Gulfstream the next. Right. Where the other fractionals you buy in on one and you're kind of stuck in that model line. Right. So when I started that, and again, it was just kind of a dream at first and we put it on paper and, and didn't really know how we we're going to figure it out. Um, I had kind of, it was kind of coming together where I had one of my clients um, actually from Russia wanted me to sell their Pilatus. So they brought it to Utah and we were going to paint it and everything. So I painted it in the colors that I wanted to with the intent that I was going to buy it from them and fraction it out. Mm -hmm. And thought you know just all the positive energy i could do thinking like we're going to make this work we're going to make it work well i only sold two shares in the airplane and i needed to sell about um eight out of the 16 to at least have enough money to buy the airplane right so it was falling apart and it came time to the light the very last day where my client that i was representing to sell the aircraft they're like Corey, i've given you enough time like this we need to sell it to somebody else you right. know your business idea it's just not working and I had another buyer there and they were there doing the logbook and I didn't want to let that airplane go. It was painting our colors. You know, I already had two clients sold into the program. Right. It was about fell apart. So I went to one of my clients, um, a local guy here, Scott Keller. You know, Scott? I, that name sounds really familiar. Great guy. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to give you money back. Like my, it just didn't work. You know, right. I, I tried, but here's all your money back. And he ended up giving me a personal loan for a couple million bucks. And he's like, all right, here you go. Let make your business happen. And so wow. with the help of him kind of getting us going and, and then, then the business started clicking, we started selling more shares, paid him back. Um, and then, and then it just, it's been a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun. So yeah. That's now, awesome. It's a, it's a really unique model. And I know, you know, we were kind of looking at it, trying to tear, you know, bounce back and forth between what we wanted to do in an, in an airplane and, you know, different opportunities popped up here and there, but Absolutely. it's a really fascinating. I mean, we've chartered from you. Yeah. I mean, it's appreciate it's, that. I think our first charter was in 2019 or eight, no, 2020. It was in, it was August of 2020. I remember that the show we went to and just awesome crew. I mean, like we ended up like we, we were on one, like there was two Pilatus sitting out in front of the FBO and like, we were supposed to take one and, some they're like you know this one will be much better for you guys and it was that one that was the coleman the, oh the, cool the blue and the, yeah. the burgundy stripe or maroon stripe and it's a nice plane like really yeah. really nice plane like it's got really light interior just a beautiful airplane and it was a lot of fun what concert you go to um so it was just a show like our rv show so oh, okay. like a show up in oregon industry show and just, yeah like an industry show we just flew up to um god where are we flying to we flew into salem okay or, or not salem um Somewhere like that, somewhere down in down in Oregon, but it was a it was a good time. It was it was a uh, cool. I mean, it was right during the heat of COVID and all that stuff, so everybody was just really awesome to work with, and our entire team loved it. Like nice. smiles on their face, never had an opportunity like that, and just treated us with you know good like awesome respect. And they were kind of surprised when I walked in the door, and it was really me putting it all together. They were like, "Oh, cool, who's <laughs> um, this young guy walking up?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got to meet Phil, and Phil was like, "Oh, I was like, you know, I was expecting somebody else," and I was like, "Ah, oh, sorry. Like, I hope it's an okay thing, but." It's an awesome team to work with. So it's been it's been really cool to watch you watch you guys grow. And then, you know, one time we worked with you and we'll you know, this is why I wanna I'm really excited to get you on the show because talk about culture and customer service and everything's like that. My family, so Rose Bowl two years ago, um, the first time we lost, um Rose Bowl <laughs> two years ago, we were um sitting down in uh, Burbank and we're about to take off and we're, you know, doing the run or you know, about to turn turn around or you know turn onto the runway yeah and the pilot just stopped and some silent you know alarms are going off and stuff is flashing and i'm like oh shit. Well, that's not supposed to happen and he's like okay so we shut the airplane down turn it back on still going off and it was the sensor for balancing the fuel out of the wings okay and so he's like well technically like you know can the airplane make it yeah but then i don't really you know we, we don't want to do this so yeah safety um, first yeah so we we parked the airplane went back to try to fix it couldn't reset it so it was ended up being it was actually a bad sensor and so i got my entire family you know sitting in burbank and it's rose bowl we can't find a rental car <laughs> we can't find a, a commercial flight and i had to be back because the next day um, I had to fly to Klamath Falls because we were closing on a dealership up there. So I'm like, I have to get back. I can't just not be back because I have to go sign document. Like I have attorneys flying there. Like everybody's going to be in Oregon and I can't, like, 
can't not be there. And so I'm calling, you know, Lauren with Duke Aviation is a, is a manager company. He's like, dude, I don't know what to do. And he's like, have you called, you know, CB Skyshare? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, I'll call him. I was like, well, I, I know Phil. I'll call Phil. So I call Phil up and it was kind of late at night. And I'm like, dude, I need help, please. And he was <laughs> like, we'll figure something out. We'll, I'll see what I can do. Moving planes calls me in the morning and is like, man, I can't really, there's nothing available. Can you, you know, leave in like a day? And I'm like, well, technically, yes, I can, but I'd really like to be there tomorrow. And then he calls me like an hour later and, and my whole family is sitting there. So we had to put everybody back in a hotel room oh, and like man. stay the night. And the next morning, everybody's looking at me, you know, that's stressful. I'm sure you've been in those situations where like <laughs> All the time. everybody's staring at you and it's like, well, I didn't break the airplane. So then, but now, now you feel obligated to fix it. And then Phil called me back and he's like, you're never going to believe this. And I'm like, what's up? And he was like, I have an airplane like deadheading from John Wayne back to salt lake city and oh, you can make perfect. make it there in about an hour and i'm like dude i'm there <laughs> and so we hopped in the car drove there and then he calls me and is like man like we can only fit five of you um with weight and restrictions and things like that and our baggage so which of the family do you so, like the most my father so <laughs> but the crazy thing is is on our way there we were checking every flight we found a southwest flight like talk about like speaking things into existence we found a southwest flight popped up with one seat left so someone must have canceled <laughs> and it was right at about 30 minutes after we were supposed to be at the airport so we swung it. We hurried and purchased that that ticket, swung in, dropped him off. He didn't even take any bags. He took his phone, a charger, and ran through security. <laughs> we took everything else, pulled up, and it was literally a you know, hundred yards down the the road, pulled into with our go rental, pulled in, pulled in right there, grabbed all the bags. They were waiting for us and put us all on the airplane and took off as one of the little CJ2s. Nice. And it was like we both pretty much landed at the same time. It all worked out perfectly, but like Phil was just really good to work with and basically kind of saved her whole family. And then he got me another Platus that, that, uh, Coleman or that, that one with the yeah. blue, um, for the next day. Oh, good. He's like, Hey, like you told me you needed a plane for the next day. Do you need it? And he's like, I, I don't have the jet available, but I have this Platus. Do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I need it. So then we got on that plane and everything ended up working out perfect. And then, you know, they, our plane sat there for two and a half weeks while Platus got us a new sensor and then we flew it back, but it just saved our entire family. We talk about like culture. Like I had, so many people working on that i felt like everybody was trying to make it happen and i mean i called more companies that were like no like sorry sorry like didn't even try and i'm like there's nothing you could do nope and i'm like you know like anything like is there anything you can do to get us out nope like i'm calling delta nope nothing we can do and then but phil was like no dude i don't have anything but i'll figure it out we'll figure it out there's always a way there's always um all right so well, it i'm was glad a, that happened yeah, yeah yeah no it was uh it was a cool experience to be able to go go through that because i know like i would imagine you know now, now you've rebranded to skyshare and i mean you dropped your your initials but you know you rebranded to skyshare the the, the the comment is my ego finally got small enough yeah, that uh, we could take my initials off the company so <laughs> i thought it was always pretty cool that it was like cb skyshare and um but so I'd imagine because you still guys still do charter and different we do like that. a lot yep so I'd ima- that's a really hyper competitive extremely market. So how, how has that been growing the charter mark? Cause then you did sales and then you're going into this new model with chartering and then this share, like the SkyShare model. How has that been? I'm very fortunate. Um, it all kind of came together unexpectedly. I mean, before the first idea was the fractional and then charter was kind of a afterthought. And especially in this, this climate we're in, one of my big competitors just went out of business a couple of weeks ago. Really? Um, a fractional company out of the company's called Jetit, and fractional company out of the uh, back east running Honda Jets. And I say that because the way the business has grown is we've got these different verticals that allowed us to stay profitable and allowed us to keep growing. So we're not just reliant on the fractional side. We've got the SkyShare side that when the planes aren't busy or our support manage airplanes, we can charter them to the public. Right. And then we have the aircraft sales and the aircraft management too. So we're still helping a lot of people buy and sell airplanes and then we can manage their asset. And if they want to charter it out, we can. And so it's been good. I mean, the, the charter, most of our charter is through other brokers. Okay. Um, so we do mostly probably 80% is just through other, like we, we help facilitate a lot of the big jet card companies. They'll call us um, like the sentience and stuff like that. Um, right. And then we do a lot of, retail as well but it it all kind of works hand in hand for sure well i have a a a first-hand experience of maybe on the not so good 
of you know one of our planes not so good on the management and the charter side it's you know, i would say lack thereof but it's zero um <laughs> charter revenue so and we're going to talk about we, that after the show yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i know you were with steve yesterday we're kind of in the same boat that he got me in um but yeah i mean so I, I so i mean i know that it's very but i here's really good things about what you guys do and i mean i see you guys running planes all the time i mean every time i'm down at the airport with our plane there's a you know one of the citations there i've seen the gulf stream down there i've seen the Pilatus down mm-hmm. there and i kind of just recognize you know the planes but i definitely recognize yours because i'll tell numbers in and cb but then they're that certain color of i think it's like black and then red or whatever yeah whatever it is yep um and i'm like man they're running airplanes i'm like why can't we run airplanes you know it's it, 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 people are charting people are busy mm-hmm. so what do you think makes you guys different that you know you're able to to do that because i know like just just like alone the process is having them set up is one thing but then it's attracting those customers because you're dealing with a very expensive asset from an owner absolutely right? so th- there's a, there's yeah. options and i mean there's obviously a stress level when you're managing someone's you know five million dollar airplane mm-hmm. how have you been able to really change the game and execute with excellence in what you do well, first, we've, we've definitely not been perfect, right? We've, we've no had, one is. Yeah, we've stumbled here and there. But I believe, and that's what I love about your podcast, it's all about culture, you know? And, and we've got, um, well, let me back up. I'll tell you a story. I was in California trying to sell a client into SkyShare, into the fractional program. And we're at the, um, what, I think we're at Long Beach Airport. And we're meeting in the FBO. And my client's name is Frank Cavanaugh. And he comes in. I'm like, well, do you want to go show you the airplane? I'm all excited. He's like, Corey, I really don't care about the airplane so much. I want to know you. Let's sit down and talk. Wow. He's like, I want to know who's running this company. So I was like, perfect. So we sit down, and he just starts drilling me with questions. And he goes, all right, um, well, do you have, like, company core values? I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, we've got, let me show you. And I've got a card. He's like, okay, stop. He's like, wait a minute. You're the CEO of the company, and if you have to pull out a card to tell me what your company core values are, they're full of shit. Like, wow. if you don't even know them, I mean, the, your your team doesn't know them. And he's like, I'm going to guess there's more than four or five, too. And I'm like, yeah, there's ten. Right. And and he's like, he's like, Corey, we can continue this conversation if you want. Um, but but I'm this is how I am. I'm very candid. And and you say you have this great culture within your company, but but I'm going to guess it's really not it might be on your wall and it might be in your wallet, but, but you're not going to be able to. And so we actually ended up having a great conversation. It was like going into um, the boxing round with Mike Tyson. I felt like just beat to hell by the end of the deal. Right. And he ended up buying in and he's been, and, and he's taught me a lot actually. But on that plane ride home, I started thinking, I was like, you know, what? he's exactly right. Because if I don't even know what I say our company core values are, right. how obviously our team doesn't. And right. then if our team doesn't, then there's no way that our clients are going to know it. So that was a big aha for me. And the other thing we talked about is like you need to have some sort of operating system within your company. Like some sort of, I don't, he's like, I don't care how you do it, but but he's like, and I'm he was just offering all this advice. This guy's ultra wealthy, owns many, many businesses. Um and so I was just soaking it up like a sponge. I was like, well, tell me, what do you suggest? And so he recommended one operating system, which we use is called EOS. I don't know if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. Entrepreneur Operating System. And it's all it is is this consultant company that helps you structure stuff. You do it all, but it helps you create the org chart, or we call it an accountability chart, um, helps you give a very strict agenda to run meetings because, as we know, most meetings are worthless and, like, yep. you better off just not going you're not going to get anything out of it right um so with that and and it's all about the culture we came back and i sat down um and at that point in time we didn't have an org chart i mean if we did it would have been me and 17 people reporting to me which obviously is not scalable and and it's not going to work right Right. there's always a line at my office of people trying to get approval because i had my finger on everything wanted to know what was going on so through this process of building the culture and, and building the organization, um, I brought in a business partner, um, Tommy, who is luckily one of my best friends and had been friends since seventh grade. Wow. And, and that's one thing, one advice I'll give to anybody is like hire the people that are at better at you at stuff you're not good at. Like right. I'm, he has this incredible financial mind and, and a great operational mind as well. 
and I'm like all sales and visionary and like, I want to figure out how to put this next big project together and sell this deal. And so with all of this kind of happening, this happened just over the last three, four years. Um, we, we wiped out the wall of the core values and it's like, who are we? What are we? Let's bring it down to four, no more than five and let's figure out what they are. And right. the first is deliver the wow. It's like, we want to deliver the wow. I believe in our business. We're in the service business and we're, we're providing a service. The, the sexy airplanes are just the tool providing a service, but it's right. like the people, our clients are willing to spend the money if they're taken care of, you know, and, and just like some of the conversations you've had with the frustrations you have with the other company, right? like that it's over promising under delivering and, and, and we can't do that. So right. first deliver the wow. Second is being solutions focused. It's like, there's always going to be problems. I don't care what business you're in. You're selling, you're selling these big motorhomes. There's going to be issues. Right. You're selling airplanes. Like they're going to break down. There's going to be pilots that call in sick. There's always going to be issues. But if we can train our team um, to just focus on the solution, let's not focus on the problem. Let's not be like these victims and sit here and just like cry about it. All right, what is the solution? And so with these words start getting ingrained in, in the, in the language we use within the company, are, are we delivering the well? Are we being solution focused? Third is, is fueled by passion. And it's not that you have to be passionate about airplanes to work with us, but you have to be passionate about going to work. You know, right. if you're in the customer service, you need to be passionate about taking care of that customer. If you're in accounting, you need to be passionate about making it right. You know, the accounting needs to be right. Um, and then the last is team first. And this is actually one um, that we're contemplating changing a little bit, you know, okay. Um, our, our last uh, executive meeting and our all manager meeting, even um, which we're going to have again here in two weeks. This is one of the hot topics is it's like that one s doesn't sit a hundred percent right with me. I think we want to change it more around alignment because I think it's so important. Like I, I say to my team all the time, it's, it's when we get all of our arrows aligned and pointed in the same direction, that's when our company really takes off. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I guess I rambled there for oh, a minute, dude, this is this is exactly what I want to talk about because like those core values in the, like your non-negotiables are really the foundation of a company. I believe like when I'm consulting with a company and we're going through like case in point, I, I was talking with a, a gentleman a few days ago and you know, he's got a problem with an employee and he listens to his podcast. You know, he knows exactly what, you know, what I'm talking about, but he's having a problem with the plea. And I was like, well, what are your values? And he was like, well, we don't have any written down values. And I'm like, so how do you have an expect? So yeah. is he doing wrong? Because you've never given him any, any, you know, structure to know if it's right or wrong. Now we think common sense is common sense, right? But it's not so common. Right. And if you don't have that foundation and those guidelines of saying, Hey, one of our, you know, one of our pieces is trust or working together or giving back our family or experience or the different things like, and what do they mean? Right? Like, then how do you hold him exactly. to a standard, right? Like, cause you really have nothing to fight on, right? There's no like belief Absolutely. system there to be like, Hey, like you violated trust. Well, you know, you might think your morals are, you know, you value right. trust, but does he value trust? He might not care that if you set the standard really high, you know, where everybody knows what's going on, everybody's playing from the same playbook, being scored the same way. Like you said, in alignment, instead of, you know, when you're going down the freeway and you come into the spaghetti bowl, it's a little bit, you know, discombobulated. You're a little bit like, what's going on? And then the point is to get through that, you know, every to get all that and then going down that freeway. You might not be going at the same speed because everybody's personality is different and management style is different. Everybody's doing different things, Absolutely. but at least you're going in the right direction. And, you know, I had a con that conversation with him and he's like, well, I think we need to have some values. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, have a mit. What do you, why do you guys do what you do? Well, what do you mean? Well, what's your mission statement? We don't really have one. Like, so he has no reason that he's going to work. He's just getting a you know a paycheck. Yeah. Like he's just showing up to just do his thing. So we kind of went through those activities, but I a hundred percent agree with and you. I, and I agree a thousand percent. I mean, that's when we look to hire somebody, we, we ask ourselves that, do they, do they really believe in our core values? Right. Um, right now we're going through our annual review process with all our managers. And so I'll sit down. It's funny. It's, we're talking about this because this is on the calendar for next week. I'll sit down with the, each of my direct reports, my directors and the sales and, and in my EA and, and well, that's how they'll be graded. All right. right. Do you, are you fueled by passion? And it's a plus, it's a plus, it's like plus hundred percent. Yes. Plus minus mostly or somewhat a negative. It's like, no, 
Right. You know, and so we go through each one of the core values on a plus, plus, minus, or minus basis. And then we also just say, you know, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? Because there's a lot of people that could live the core values, but they still maybe just don't get it. You know, everybody right. has a different ceiling. Everybody has a different skill set. You know, and that's that's the other thing. It's just always trying to find you. You hear the the put the right people on the right bus in the right seat, but right. that right seat sometimes difficult. You know? Right. And so finding that you know, do they get it? Do they want it? But do they have the capacity to do it? Right. Um. And and so I'm. There's a couple of team members right now that I'm looking at myself in the mirror and like, am I really setting them up to succeed? Right. Are they in the right seat? Like, because right. maybe I'm doing them a disservice because I'm asking something that isn't their zone of genius. And so right. if we can put it, these people in, in what they're passionate about and what they're really good at, then, then everybody wins. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to sit down with them and be like, what do you love and what do you hate? Yeah. It's like, oh, I love this, but I hate doing this. Okay. Well, if I could take that off your plate, you know, are you going to operate? Now you're operating at 60%. Are you going to operate at 100 or 90? Are we going to, you know, level you up? And then, you know, sometimes you have to have those conversations like, hey, I can't take that off your plate, but let's see how we can make it better. Yeah. But it's those data points. Like, I, I find that it's fascinating. Like, everything that you're speaking is like my language, man. Like, we, like, it is like making me excited because I, I feel like it's like a lost art, right? People just don't care. And then, if you don't have those meetings, you don't have those data points or those plus and minuses of where they're feeling at, then like, how do you have a play, like what I call a playbook? How do you have a playbook to play from? Exactly. You know, no one goes to the Super Bowl with no playbook. Right. You know, we can go, like if you threw me into, you know, say back in, you know, when, it, when the Super Bowl was at SoFi Stadium and I think the Rams were, I don't know whoever, <laughs> but uh, if you threw me in there and it's like, hey, you're head coach today. Well, I'd be like, all right. Um, well, I know that I have probably some good players, um, but I know maybe like, this number is this position because in mm -hmm. football it's based off of you know numbers and positions so you know i'm trying to i would i would probably lose horribly but i would kind of maybe figure it out but no they have playbooks everybody knows we have a playbook for the other team we have a playbook for our team we know how to manage you know to, to manage the game but then it's fascinating to me when people don't bring that into like the business world and know who their people right. are know what they're good at know what they're not good at know what they like know their goals and dreams and aspirations like I think that's important. Like I was meeting with an, another um, kind of buddy client of mine that was like, Hey, like, you know, I have a hundred employees are all part-time high school employees. What do I do? And I'm like, well, how do you know, you know, what do you know? What they, how do you, how do I motivate them? Well, I don't ask them. And he was like, what? And I'm like, ask them a motive. Everybody's going to be motivated right. by different things. And I was like, you're a stepping stone. He was like, yeah. And I was like, so own it, own that you're a stepping stone. Like your model is kind of like a model based around part-time high school employees own it like don't be afraid of that but yeah. sit down with them and be like why do you want to work here are you, are you saving up for a scooter you saving up to go to college is it a summer job like why are you working here oh it's just a summer job okay this is gonna be the best summer job ever and i'm we're gonna make the most money together i'm gonna pay you the most we're gonna have the most fun this is gonna be the best thing ever because your goal i'm gonna help you achieve your goal oh you want to save for college let me help you achieve you know save up for college so like owning that is not necessarily a bad thing right yeah so like when you're meeting with your employees you know, employees. I'm like, what is your one year goal? Your three or five? Like, what do you want? Are you saving up for something? You want to go on a dream vacation? I've always wanted to go to Alani in Hawaii. Okay, look, let's get you there. How are we going to get you there? I will help you achieve your goal, and we will we will run together as fast as we can run together, side by side. And I, you know, I believe when you have those conversations, it's like, wow, like now they can get locked on, and they're here for a deeper reason than just I'm here to just make money. I'm here to just figure it. Out. I'm here to waste my time every single day, or I'm bored, or this and that and the other. Like, even those individuals like i've noticed it with some um you know when i've done some consulting is um stay-at-home moms that just want to go get a job because they're tired of being at home right there's always a deeper meaning than absolutely just being, not wanting to be at home so you find that out you light the fire and then you get them running like you said in alignment with you you can be un unstoppable yeah you know i need to be better at this but because i used to do that more you know, and so I'm glad we're having this conversation because I need to know, like, what my direct reports, like, what does really turn them on? Like, what does motivate them and how to help help them hit their goals? You right. know, I, a few years ago, gosh, this has been probably six, seven years ago, I put, we, we set our, our annual goals, you know, and, and it's hard to get everybody to believe we can actually hit annual goals. Right. But what I did do back then is I sat down with each one of them individually and I said, okay, here's the deal. If we hit this goal, you're going to get $2,500, but it's not in a cash bonus, and you can't take it as cash. So if you had to spend $2,500 on yourself, 
what would it be? What would you do? And then, and then I had my assistant create a picture of whatever that is, and they put it on their desk. So every single day they were looking at like, and it wasn't just, I'm going to take the money, then get taxed on it and go pay off this credit card or something like that. It was some people want a motorcycle, some people want a trip to Europe. I mean, it was really cool to walk around the office and to just see right. on each of their offices, like they had to look at it and envision, okay, here's what we're going to do. I love that. It, sometimes when you attach that emotional experience, I mean, quite... I would say, you know, nine times out of 10, when you attach emotional experience to something, people will run away for, because I mean, if you were to give them, like you just said, like, okay, I'll give you 2,500 bucks, you're going to get taxed on it, and then you're going to buy tires. Like, yep. you know, that's not really highly motivating. But if you're, like, we did it with our general managers a couple of years ago. We took them to Vegas. Um, all expenses paid for them in a plus one. Um, we raced around the racetrack. Awesome. You know, and I was like, hey, just buy whatever package you guys want. <laughs> it, was, it was a blast. And then we gave them some gambling money. We put them in a nice rooms in Caesar's palace. We took them to dinner every single night. Like it was a fun couple of days. Like if I was just to give them, you know, 2,500 bucks or three grand or five grand bonuses, they'd be like, cool. Thanks. Like yeah. They already make good, good livings, but it's like, we still talk about that time mostly because I'm the only one that crashed. And I told them like, <laughs> if you crash, I how bad you. did you crash? It, it wasn't bad. I just went around, you know, a few circles. In was the, it in like the the, on the NASCAR track? No, it was in there. Like they have an inside, like, like a racetrack, like a, with a bunch of turns and different things. And uh, I, of course, you know, kind of had to pump my ego up and I got the <laughs> hardest car to drive. Like they kept talking, like the, the race instructors were like, please don't take this car. Like it is so hard to drive. Like we don't even like to drive. And I'm like, but it's, it's a Lamborghini. And it was like their full blown oh, race car with a track or with a cage and like seats. And like the steering wheel is one of those yoke steering wheels. It's real small and had a couple buttons on it, like the F1 cars, like, super cool but it was so hard to drive did like, you damage it when you spun it no they, they looked at it like yeah it wasn't bad but they're like he's like i told you to break and the, the brake was so hard to push i had two feet on it pushing and i'm strong got two feet on it pushing as hard as i could and i could not break 100 percent. but there it was just a hard car to drive wow. and so yeah they still gave me crap about that but those experiences we'll never forget yeah and it's like they're always asking what's the next thing we're doing where are we going what's this what's that and i think that the more you can implement that into a, a company the better I mean, but then that's not everything, right? Like you're saying right. that there's values to it. There's more to, because like tech companies, for instance, like they get it. I feel like a lot of these tech companies get it all wrong where they go raise all this money, go buy this super sexy building, mm-hmm. put some Skittles in the break room, put a pickleball court, you know, somewhere they put a gym in. They say, have at it. And then they go out of business because there's really no substance to that, right? right. The next person who has the sh- bigger, better pickleball court better skittles yep you know better that exactly you're you're training your employees that that's all that really matters in life right but when you can kind of make the whole package you know with your benefits with your experiences with your culture with your values and how you treat each other like then you have the whole package like people will stay there forever then you can base your success off retention right i mean people move on for different reasons yeah of course but then you can you're not just a hamster wheel just spinning and spitting out people right because as you know especially probably in your you know, business, it's expensive to train people. Oh, the pilots, especially, I mean, like a Goldstream pilot that I hire the day before. So from the, the day we hire them till they fly a revenue flights, typically 90 days with all the training and everything you're into that pilot, almost a hundred grand. Yeah. I mean, you cause know? you got to pay for the schooling. They got to go all to. the training, all the indoc plus their salary, plus their train or the, the travel and all that. And so retention is, is, massive yeah especially in today's world because everybody's trying to poach pilots like yeah. i have a, a family member with with a, a gulf stream and he last thing he thought was he was going to get a pilot poach but a, a pc12 poached him for way more money have, <laughs> like, and I, I still can't even wow fathom it but a pc12 poach, and he was like i i did not expect that i'm yeah. like and he's like now i gotta pay for them to do this and i gotta find someone now i can't fly my plane i have to have a contract pilot which they're you know that's a whole other ball game that right. you're dealing with because you got to pay for travel and you know it's it's not fun right it's a logistical yeah. kind of nightmare sometimes with contract pilots unless you know someone in salt lake then that's fine but generally it is a pain. you know it's somewhere else so yeah. it's just it's tough but I'm, like he's kind of a jerk so i'm like huh, <laughs> but um like it you know it it's 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 a tougher situation because you're dealing with you know a, a, lo- a lot of money just in you know 90 days re- rehiring those individuals it's not like you're you know you have a car salesman or whatever and then they're having to re you know come in and yeah you know, like you're heavily invested in them so in all these podcasts that you've done what have you learned for employee retention like do you have any good 
nuggets for us? I think feel, having employees feel appreciated and having them have being helping them feel fulfilled yeah. in what they do. Interesting. Like when you, like you think about it, like you want to feel fulfilled in what you do. Absolutely. You're going to be happy. And like you want to actually feel like you're doing something cool and good, right? Like it doesn't, doing something good doesn't always necessarily mean like giving money away and doing different things. Like you're just, but you're doing good. Like you're helping a customer out. Like even in, like you said that they want to feel like they have a purpose and passion, right? Mm-hmm. Where they help a customer out and, you know, in a bind and you get those text messages like, thank you so much. It's like, mm-hmm. oh man, it fuels the passion, right? So helping you know, employees feel appreciated and feel wanted and feel fulfilled and like that you actually care and they're not a number and that they're a part of something, you know, a great culture. I feel like that's the glue that sticks people together because if you just, you know, give them, you know, even pay raises in this and that and the other, that, that they're tra- you're training people to just go get more money, right? Like, you know, and, but if you really base it off of those values and like they're feeling appreciated and filled and empowered to do things, like they feel like that they matter. Like I'm empowered. Like you said, like you had your thumb on everything. I can imagine like, you know, interviewing your, you know, people that have been there since then and now, and they feel like, oh, I'm so much more fulfilled because I feel like I matter and I can do things and I can maybe do the scheduling or I can go do this or go to that, like all on my own. I feel like I own this. Like that's, that's a really cool feeling, right? Because when you're, when you're growing up and you became a man, like people want to become a manager because I'm like, Hey, I'm giving you ownership, right? Everybody like lit up. People yeah. lit up. Like, I love this because and some people maybe aren't cut out for it, but I really feel like the more you can help that individual feel like they matter. You care about their family. You care about what their wants and needs are. You care about them feeling fulfilled and achieving their goals and all those things. That's where the, that's the glue in a company. So it's interesting. One of the challenges that I'm having right now and is like I lost a pilot to go to a different company. And in the exit interview, he didn't tell me this, but he told um, our HR person, he's like, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I used to be able to talk to Corey all the time. I'd fly with Corey. Like, and he's like, I just don't feel like I have that connection with him anymore. And so this is like an internal deal I'm trying to figure out because as the company scales and grows, you know, now we're almost 100 employees and double what we were just a couple of years ago. How can we still have that love on the employees and, and have that team united but where it's, um, and I'm not saying that, that, that I'm the greatest person by any means, but it was like I used to be able to go fly with these guys. You know, right. I used to be more in the trenches with them, and now, now I'm not so much. Right. Um, so I'd love any advice on that. Yeah, no, and I'm dealing, you know, similar situations because we went from, you know, one dealership to nine, right. from 20 employees to 200 employees in just a couple of years. And, you know, people are like, oh, Jason was always in here. Jason was always doing this. And, and like, and I kind of like, I, I'm always like, but it's not about me. But then at the end of the day, like it kind of is right. Like, like, like you're the CEO of the company. Like, so I, I've had to do this battle because I'm gonna look like, I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to have to be here all the time, but just making face, you know, is, is helpful, I think. Yeah. But I've had to be more intentional with, with things I've had, like, I've had to be like, actually schedule it out. Like, cause in my mind I was like, okay, like I'm just going to visit a dealership. It doesn't matter. Okay. But if a, if another meeting popped up, I'll replace it and I'll go visit it some other time. But then I'm like, but that, that was actually extremely important for culture mm-hmm. and extremely important for retention, extremely important for all those individuals, especially if they were counting on it. Um, now I've gotten good of like, Hey, like, you know, texting like the day before day of like, Hey, I'm popping in today because I can make it because obviously things pop up. Right. Right. But being really intentional with your scheduling and caring about those visits or caring about those yeah. flights just as much as you would a client or anybody else. Cause sometimes that's, you know, just as important. And then what really one thing that's helped me is a company wide calls once a month with me. Okay. And just is like, it structured or how does that go? So usually it's kind of just more of announcements from corporate, more announcements from me saying, hi, you know, it's a lot less from people talk, you know, like we have everybody on it. And then I have meetings with just GM, like just different, people but just being face saying how how are things going what do you need from me them just having a conversation with you back and forth even via like teams or zoom whatever you use has helped a lot because you know i guess it mandatory um oh yeah like well is you know if you're dealing with a customer i but we do during business hours um you know it's 10 a.m a mountain time at the first wednesday of every month so i got one coming up next week and we'll all be on it it's and then i have a survey that goes out of questions they want answered 
So then I have an anonymous survey that goes out to every single employee that says, hey, you know, this is, you know, you can optional, names optional, dealerships optional, but what are questions you want to ask or what answered? And then we'll go through on the call. I like we'll that idea. Next and be like, hey, you know, so-and-so put their name. This is going to be, you know, this is the answer to that. You know, oh, I don't have a name. This is the answer to that. And then sometimes, you know, some of them are kind of, you know, complaints here and there. And so we got to, you know, obviously, I, you know, and then some of them are questions where I have no idea how to answer because some of them, you'll, you'll find this too. People don't believe it's anonymous. So people who ask very specific questions, I'm like, I don't know how to answer this because I don't know who <laughs> asked it. I don't even know where in the country you are. So can you please call? But I, I like answer it, but don't answer it in the call. And I'm like, please email me because don't, I want to help you, but I don't know how to right. help you. So I kind of still call it out. And then I'll have feedback surveys go on after the call. Like, how was the call? How was the duration? Did you get all everything? Like, so we're constantly getting better with that communication, but we're, we're that, that those little touches, touch points of like, there's that relationship capital being deposited in those banks is really important for everybody going out every Monday. I have a quick little email, um, go out of one of our values. Boom. So like, Hey, this week we're going to work, you know, we're, I'm going to work on, or like the, the value focus is trust. And these are some things that talk about trust and things. Um, before the 4th of July, you know, on Monday, one's going to go out, like, have a good time tomorrow. We have the day off. Hope you have time with family and friends. And that's what life is all about. And it's just those touch points, right? So it's that relationship capital right. being deposited. Then when you, then making, being intentional with your schedule of showing up, um, has drastically helped me because I was getting way, a lot of complaints hmm. like to everybody, like Jason never comes anymore. Jason doesn't do this. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't want it about me. But at the end of the day, like, it's very unique in companies, especially when it gets bigger, to have a little bit of access or even an email or a call or a visit, you know, a 30-second visit with the CEO. In most corporate Americas, that's impossible. Yeah. Like I worked at GNC. The last person I thought was going to come to the door was the, was the CEO, right? Right. So I, but that would have been the coolest thing in the world, and that would have created, I feel like, you know, better culture. And so it's just... You know, and I'm sorry, this is probably a long answer, but no, it's, just, love it, it's just being intentional with what you want and, and kind of just being like, do you want to do that? Like, do you even want to do that? And which I feel like, you know, you probably- So I absolutely do. And, yeah. that, and that's, I mean, what you're saying is resonates because like, I used to just make more visits, like even to my Ogden FBO and just go through and high five everybody and just go say hi. And yeah. it's now I find myself trapped in my office more, but- coming back to the culture like the only way we're going to hit our big goals and the only way we're going to be able to go to the whole next step is with the team they got to be united and aligned right and the only way you're going to do that is um to have that so. yeah and i feel like all product even the we have all of our de- every single employee is invited to that call whether you're in detail you're a mechanic you're any anything right like it's really important to have those come and they're all recorded and put up in our back you know on our so website if they missed they can, it they can go yeah, back can and go look back. at it and that's really helped helped a lot because you're right like the culture and and to go to the next level there has to be that communication factor because you know i believe that you you know relationships and communication even if you are communicating in a way but it's like almost that face-to-face communication helps a ton and communication is everything and that trust right like that trust communication they know they're working for a really good person they know they're really really working for a really good company i trust them the communication's good I feel like that goes way further than, than even just giving them, you know, just, oh, we make enough money. But yeah, but there's like that, that, that it factor is missing. Cause I'm sure that you've been able to maybe recruit pilots or people out of other companies that maybe even took a pay cut yeah. because of the culture and what they've heard about you and different things like that. It, it has happened. And I agree with you. It's not all about the money. Of course, that's part of it. Yeah. But, but it is feeling appreciated and it's, and it's a quality of life. Right. Um, so yeah, it's that balance. We yeah, do. especially with you, because quality of life for pilots is that's a that's a rough, rough industry, especially if you're ad hoc. Right. And I mean, any moment of any day, you can get that phone call and you got to go. Schedule is more important than money, right? Most of the time in the pilots. Yeah, yeah. You get a, a lot of those pilots will take like when we were trying to with this other company, we we're trying to hire pilot. They're like like having scheduled pilots where they're either a week on, week off, or four or five days on, or four whatever. However it works, I don't I don't really know, but that was more important to the pilots than just being ad hoc or being, yep. you know, this or that and the other. And um, you understand it. Like you want to know that you can go camping. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the struggle with some of these flight departments where they are on call all the time. Yeah. They just don't have a life. Yeah. They oh yeah. That would anything. be, and, and the, you think about it, like, would you work for a situation? Exactly. Like that? No. Yeah. And so then how do you have that expectation for them? Right. 
you know oh our owner's partying all the time but we're just sitting here not can't do anything can't do anything like, i have to get a call yeah and i mean you i mean when you're ad hockey that doesn't mean you can never take a day off unless right. you're the only pilot like our pilots when we were growing up they, we they were the only pilots we had but if they were telling us like hey we had to you know we're going to be on vacation this and the other then we have to get those contract pilots right extra. so it's a little bit logistic but we knew that but it was a communication and then the expectations like yeah we, our expectations you're not here every like we expect you to have a life do you want to be a pilot I would love to be a pilot, man. Yeah, I think it'd we'll be, do it. So when I got out of high school, I started going to, uh, I don't even think they're in business anymore. Whirly Bird Helicopters up in Ogden. I took training there a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, so I was, a, I was doing ground school for helicopters. So I did like the discovery flights of the fixed wing and, yep. and helicopter. I decided to do helicopters in, in the middle of ground school. And then my business kind of blew up and I just never got to go back. But I have a bunch of certificate. I could have a bunch of log book of all my hours That's and everything so I've funny. done. I'm sure it wouldn't do anything now. The hours still count, but yeah. so I, I think I have like twenty something hours in R22. Okay, and I mean we flew that little thing everywhere, but I was doing the ground school and flying at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, did I want to get? I think it'd be so. Fr- I just want a little like SR22. Um, I think that'd be a really cool They're airplane. Awesome, great. They're just great to rip around the west and go anywhere around here. You can pretty much go, you know, almost anywhere from Salt Lake, you know, a few hundred miles around. So. Yeah, I fly, uh, currently I fly our Pilatuses and our Citations nice. um, and then a bunch of other little stuff for fun. But I'm, I'm like I was telling you earlier, I'm about to get my helicopter rating. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Dude, I, like, I just want to so be able to. so hard to fly a helicopter. Oh, it's, so it's crazy. And it's, I've actually had a lot of unofficial seat time because we've, we've, I have a friend who f- flies them all the time and um, he'll hit me up and be like, Hey, I got to go do something. You know, you want to come with me and you know, Hell keep yeah. me company. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, Oh, I got to fly up to Boise and grab something. You want to come get with me? I'm like, yeah. So I've actually got a lot of like control time. Um, and he is an instructor, but we've never really done anything official, but I've, I'm not gonna lie. I've gotten really good at it. Like I yeah. can, hover, I can completely hover. Nice. Like Dude, I, that's hard. That's, and talent. I don't know why, like, I don't know if it's because of the touch, but I have hovered, for I have a, a on camera like a minute thirty. This was back at Whirly Bird too. I have an on camera a minute and twenty two second hover like fifteen feet above the tarmac for just sitting there, <laughs> and which scared the crap out of me because I'm like, dude, if I make one, it's different if it's a hundred feet because right. you can correct adjust, and, right. Yeah, but there was one time when I first got in, I'll never forget as I pushed a little because it's so sensitive. I pushed it a little too far forward and we went like almost nosediving thing. He caught it back and he was like, just focus on the horizon and just feel, feel the helicopter and just like getting in the zone. It was crazy. And, and the guy, guy on the ground was filming it and he's like, I have never seen anybody. And this was my first time I've ever been in a helicopter. That, yeah, and he was like, I've incredible. never seen anybody do that. So then they tried to talk me in to get my license and they, they actually gave me a good deal because they were like, we would love to have you as a, like pilot because we don't feel like it would be hard to train you and i'm like okay so i started going on the journey and got busy and then never went to like life happens yeah but i want to go back so bad i think it'd be so much fun do it so much i need to i really need i just need to make the decision to do it i don't really know i'm having a hard time like finding a good company to to do it with the helicopter or the yeah, fixed the, the helicopter helicopter so i'm flying with blade up in ogden the okay. guys are awesome really i've heard really yep. good things about them yep. yeah because um, really bird went out of business i don't really know what happened there yeah but. Yeah, there's been a lot of these helicopter schools going to have business. No, I've been really impressed impressed with uh, Blade, um, and they're do, I'm flying in the R44 and nice, good, good, great, yeah, yeah, awesome. It, they're dude. For some reason, I have this stupid, wild dream of just going up to the Uintas with a helicopter and fishing for the day. <laughs> there you go. Like, I feel like it would be so much fun. <laughs> so one day I'll be able to do it. But Corey, thank you so much for for being on the show. Yeah. I had. A great time chatting with you. I mean, you're the thing that you talk about culture and the, what you feel like it's pivoted your company has been awesome to hear. And I know there's a it's lot the of truth. listeners out there that can, you know, really benefit from that. And it just means the world that you're on this show. And you know, one thing I want to ask is where where can people find you? At? Are you on social media? I know you got you know this new rebranding going yeah. on. I follow your page on Instagram. So skyshare.com. Cool. Yeah, my personal is just my name on Instagram, but awesome. uh, skyshare.com. It'll be on the, the okay. episode title. And uh, Thanks last, for having me, Jason. Last thing I want to ask you, man, is what does success mean to you? How do you define success? Great question. Um, to me, I would say freedom. Like, I don't really care how much money I have in the bank as long as I have enough to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Right. You know? And so 
And I think planes are the most ultimate freedom you can ever have. You know, right. so that's, that's why I'm very passionate about it. I love walking out and jumping in a jet, starting up and taking off. So success, I think, is, and I would, and I would um, qualify that with happiness, too, because in my business, I have a lot of, all of my clients are multi, multi-millionaires. Right. They're not flying private if you're not. And there's some of them, luckily, most of them are very happy people, but there's some miserable rich people out there right you know and so i think it's figuring out what your purpose is and and who you want to be and then living up to that because i think more money just exemplifies who you are as a person if you're a good person you have more money you're going to do more good things with it right if you're an asshole you have more money you're going to be a bigger asshole right um but to answer your question i think it's freedom and happiness i love that man figure out what that happiness is to you and then work on the freedom part i love that man it's it's and you're right like their money does not fix all your problems no. and, and make you happy it's it can make you do happy things but truly it comes comes within when you're like you know going back to that fulfillment yeah. so i um cory again i appreciate you thank being on you the show um if you like this episode please share it uh go follow cory's instagram the sky share instagram it's awesome got a lot of you know a lot of aircraft on there if you're looking for you know any chart or anything like there you know skyshare.com is the place to go And uh, yeah, please share this with anybody and and rate it, like it. And we will see you on the next episode of Culture Camp. Thank Thank you. you.